believe it or not. The Unbelievable? Believe it. Ripley's Believe It or Not. Incomparable, inimitable, illimitable, inestimable, introducer of immeasurable, incalculable, incredible impossibility. Welcome to Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, the podcast that brings you deep into the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual. I'm Ryan Clark. And I'm Brent Donaldson. You know, Brent, I remember when I was a kid and I would go through my grandparents' old books and magazines. They had a bunch of those old gold key Ripley's comics from the 60s. -hmm. You remember they had those elaborate covers with skulls and shrunken heads and treasure chests? Uh, I was hooked immediately, and it just catapulted me into this career that I've chosen where I travel the country and for two decades now, I've been seeking out the weird and the fantastic stories. Uh, And for the past two years, I've actually been able to write for Ripley's Believe It or Not. Cool. So my background is also in magazine journalism, where I've written feature stories about everything from cage fighters to grisly true crime cases. And point of pride, I was the last journalist ever to interview Evil Knievel. So as far as Ripley's goes, I totally get your connection to it. I watched the TV show religiously back in the Jack Palance days. I'm pretty sure it was on Sunday nights. I just remember sitting in front of the TV waiting for it. And now I have two kids who each have copies of every book Ripley's has published since they were born. I think the common thread here, Ryan, is that Ripley's Believe It or Not makes weird fun. I think we all kind of like to eavesdrop or spy on the weird, some of us from a distance and others up close. But I think that that's because at some point in our lives, we all consider ourselves to be sort of innately weird and we're just fascinated by other people's versions of it. You know what's really weird, Brent? What's that? Skunk apes. What are skunk apes? They're cryptids. And what are cryptids? Cryptid's a word that comes from another term, cryptozoology, or the study of creatures believed to exist but without verification from science. Still, even though they haven't been proven to exist, get this, that doesn't mean there aren't laws in place to protect them. Right now, the Loch Ness Monster, Yeti, and the Lake Monster Champ all have laws protecting them against being hunted. Today, we're going coast to coast to bring you interviews with two people who are advocating for laws protecting unrecognized species. That's right. And our first story is about a man who has dedicated himself to protecting one unrecognized species in particular, the skunk ape. So the skunk ape is basically the Bigfoot of the South, right? They're seven foot tall, Bigfoot looking humanoids that sort of look like a dirty Chewbacca with a giant ape's head. Nicknames for the skunk ape include the swamp cabbage man or the stink ape because the creatures make their home in the sulfury swamp muck. Sightings of the skunk ape peaked in the 1960s and 70s throughout the Carolinas, Arkansas, and in particular Florida, specifically the Florida Everglades, which is where we found a man named Dave Sheely, a man who has dedicated his life to bringing awareness to the existence of the skunk ape and in his own fascinating way to protecting the creature from outside threats. So real quick, before we get to Dave's interview, part of this story revolves around the fact that Dave Sheely's family has lived in what is now the Big Cypress National Preserve in the Everglades National Park. For five generations, they've lived there alongside members of at least two Native American tribes that Dave calls his neighbors. And that's part of this story, as you'll hear. So let's pick up the story by turning back the clock and let's listen to Dave talk about his first 
first ever skunk ape encounter, which he says happened when he was a kid walking around with his brother. Okay, I was 10 years old. Uh, I was about a mile from where I am now. My brother and I had taken a walk in the woods. Uh, he saw something in the distance. We'd heard about the skunk apes from the time I far back as I can remember. When I was a 10. And he saw one walking through the grass in front of us, and I couldn't see it because the grass was pretty high, and I, was, I couldn't see through it. So he picked me up, and I looked out, and there it was. And that was the first time. About seven feet tall, walking on two legs, covered with hair. Uh, we didn't smell the smell. It was a light, light, real light rain coming down. But like a Bigfoot, a lot like a Bigfoot that people... Um, are seen out in the Pacific Northwest, but a smaller animal. And skunk apes climb trees, so they're a little different than a Bigfoot. A lot of the sightings are in trees. I've actually found bedding areas in the trees. It just moved off, and, and we ran back to the house, and we told our parents, and they told their friends, and we had found some tracks, too, maybe a, a year prior around our house. So, I mean, it was a surprise, but it wasn't really unexpected because other people had been seeing them, too. So there you go. Dramatic. Yeah, I mean, this is the stuff that always gets me. As we've discussed, and, and, you know, the audience probably doesn't know this, but, you know, I'm the person who really wants to believe. You know, whenever I hear a story like this, I totally get sucked in. There's a lot I find interesting here in that, you know, basically they've heard this legend, you know, since they've grown up. And then they come upon something really strange, you know, when he's just a young boy. I, I did find it odd, though, that they didn't smell the creature. I mean, isn't that what the skunk ape is known for? You know, maybe they were just downwind. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe it just always smells like sulfur there. Um, no offense. I used to spend the summers with my dad in Florida, and even the tap water smelled foul. Sorry, Florida. Florida. Okay. So Dave mentioned that other people have been seeing skunk apes, too, and that is true. There are three native cultures around the area where Dave lives, the Seminole, the Miccosukee, and the Gladesmen, who are kind of like Florida's Cajun culture. And actually, that's a topic that might warrant its own show someday. But Dave says that the local Native American tribes have told him of skunk ape sightings that date back generations, and that one of the tribes tried to make contact with the skunk apes many years ago to form an alliance to fight against the encroachment of the white man. Which, can you imagine that scene? That is a summer blockbuster that I want to see. Exactly. And in that movie, I'm on the side of the skunk apes in that fight. I'm just saying. So let's back up a minute. In this interview, Dave talks about how his life in the preserve has led to his research on the skunk ape. And for Dave, that means venturing out and trying to find tracks, doing things like tying cow livers and other bait to trees in an attempt to make a sighting, things like that. And generally, Dave says that things have been going pretty well for him lately. His research was recently featured in an exhibition at the Marco Island Historical Museum called Skunk Apes, Scallywags, and Swamp Spirits. His eco-tourism business is doing well. So there at his Skunk Ape headquarters, they provide tours, canoeing, kayaking, and camping. Let's let Dave take us on a quick tour of the Skunk Ape Research Headquarters. The breeze is blowing. It's 90 degrees, and I'm surrounded by no less than a million alligators as I speak. It's a hustling, bustling place. It, it's a long and short of it. It's a gift shop. It's a tourist trap. Um, it's uh, but but we do a lot more than that. You know, we, you got to you got to provide that. People want that. 
Um, we have, and you'll be interested in this because uh, the Ripley's is going to be coming down here to measure my snake. I, I believe right now I have the largest snake in captivity. And uh, so that's here at my shop. Um, also, I display footprints from my research. There's not a whole lot of people doing the research that I do. You see a lot of stuff on television, hear a lot of things, but I'm the one here doing it. So that's Dave. So, Ryan, did you have a chance to go down and measure his snake? <laughs> I think we're going to have to report back on that, Brent. Okay. Uh, but, you know, one of the other things that I thought was really funny is that he, he referenced that there was a million alligators out there with them. And I think that might be a little dangerous. A million. Not a million. million, though. Just, just a million. So, in, in all honesty, though, you know, when I hear that, I think that, you know, Dave is very poetic about his home and he describes it in a way that, that makes me really want to be there. And that probably reflects how he feels about the place and, and the passion that he has that really comes through. Absolutely. But as we'll soon hear, that passion is kind of double edged, right? Right. Dave's obviously passionate about the environment and skunk apes, but he's also trying to run a business. Exactly. And we will get to that in a minute. But first, Dave's most recent encounter was six years ago, when he says that he spotted three skunk apes feeding on palmetto berries near the highway. He says that as he moved closer, one of them stood up and saw him, but then sort of grunted before they all took off into the bush. But Dave's most famous encounter was from 2001, and it's famous because it's on YouTube. Just go to the show notes section of ripleys.com to check out the video and judge for yourself. But right now, let's listen to Dave tell the story of what happened that day. It's a seven-minute video. I'm I'm in the woods, uh, and I'm scouting. I see a deer, a white-tailed deer, running down the edge of of a high strip of land and crossing the marsh in front of me. It obviously was spooked. That's when I noticed where I had originally seen the deer come from. I noticed a, a, a large black figure, turns out to be a skunk ape. It's trailing it. It's running it down. Um, it's a form of hunting. It's called endurance hunting. A lot of the aboriginals and stuff like that. Endurance hunting is where you, you physically wear an animal down to you can catch it. You dog it. So it was dogging this deer, but it's running at one point in the video. If you're watching it, you have to realize in the marsh, the water's two foot deep. Water is flying in the air, 10 feet in the air. And this thing is moving over 20 miles an hour. It's just incredible. So there you go. The world famous Dave Sheely skunk ape encounter. Yeah, I just always try to put myself in this kind of situation, you know, I always ask, like, what would I do if I saw something that was truly unexplainable? Like, how would I react? Would I just be in awe, like, totally stoned into silence? Or would I have, like, a massive heart attack, like, right then and there? I mean, it just seems like Dave has a real affinity for these creatures, and, and he's not the only one. I mean, sightings of these creatures were booming in the 1970s, and um, State Representative Hugh Paul Knuckles introduced a bill, which was commonly referred to as the Skunk Ape Act, to protect the creatures from being harmed. Now, it failed, as did a previous incarnation of the same thing, and as of today, there's really no legal protection at all for the Skunk Ape. Right, and as we're about to hear in our next clip, Dave says he cares deeply about protecting skunk apes, but it's complicated, right? Dave's interest in skunk apes parallels his interest in the preserve, 
but it's also personal for Dave. His interest in skunk apes is also directly related to his land and his business. So let's hear what he has to say. Well, it's important to me because it's what I do, and you kind of get attached to things. You study them your whole life. I've been doing this for 40 years. And a lot of people say, well, why don't you capture one, Dave? And uh, But just, just the trauma of doing that to an animal, I, I don't think it's good. I see so many programs go awry down here for the, these panthers and stuff. Um, but it's important to me just because it's my life. It's, it's what I do. It's, it's, it's my home. And I like, I like it to be the way it is. And, and living in a national park is not easy. You know, and like I said, my, my only competition is the government. So no matter which way I turn, I'm up against the government agency. And, um, so with my, my research, I'm just trying to maintain the culture and, and the heritage of the area and the wildlife that lives here. And so I guess that's my interest. Just little things like that. Just just the protection, even equal protection as, as the Florida Panther has here would be fine with me. But right now, it's pretty much open season. And uh, somebody wanted to come down here and, and sidestep the law and bring a gun into the woods and hunt one down. It's all a big go. Okay, stop. Let's just imagine giving Dave the benefit of the doubt here. What would happen if there was a run on the skunk ape? Just a mass of people going through protected areas to hunt these things. It'd be like the villagers going after Frankenstein with torches and pitchforks. Yep. Yep. Okay. Let's just play the rest. And I don't know if I like that. I, I've done so much over the last 25 years. And so if all, if all I do in the end is draw attention to the, the Everglades ecosystem and, and people choose to protect it, um, that's fine with me. And so that's, what I've been doing is bringing awareness to the Everglades and to the culture of the area so that it's not destroyed. People should care about every living thing on this earth. And, and in so many incidents, it seems like we don't. And the skunk ape is, is you know, whether you believe it or not, it is, is a symbol of the Everglades. And to me, the skunk ape is real. So that's Dave Sheely. He's a sympathetic character. He's a complicated guy. He has vested interests in protecting the land that his family has owned for generations there. But he also needs to attract tourists to his skunk ape headquarters. And that part of the story can't be ignored. There's a great comprehensive article about skunk apes and about Dave Sheely written by Joseph Stromberg for Smithsonian Magazine, and it introduced me to one theory that might tie everything together. Apparently, uh, in the areas in and around the Big Cypress Preserve, there are at least two sort of mysterious primate breeding facilities, as well as a sanctuary for rescued or retired chimps and orangutans. And there are several confirmed wild self-sustaining monkey populations in nearby areas that stem from exotic pets that have been released into the wild. So is the skunk ape real? Is it a case of mistaken identity? No one can say with absolute certainty, right? So I'll just end with one more thing. Just this past April, the Wall Street Journal had an article based on research presented in the journal Nature. Apparently, scientists say they found evidence of a previously unknown human species that lived 50,000 years ago in what is now the Philippines. 
They had small jaws. They had small teeth. They were able to walk upright, but with feet still shaped to climb. So what does that smell like, Ryan? Smells like a skunk ape. Yep. So the article states that these island creatures were a mix-and-match patchwork of primitive and advanced features in a unique variation of the human form. That is so cool. I love hearing things like this because it just reaffirms that what people are saying can be real. Uh, this and the, the the primate research labs theory. What if these are a bunch of escaped orangutans running wild in the swamps for the past 50 years? If they are, it means what these people have seen and what they're trying to protect is real. It may not be a Bigfoot-like creature, but it is real nonetheless. And it means that laws to protect them are even more necessary. All right, moving on. Moving on. Okay. So there are no laws currently in place for the skunk ape, right? Now let's go across the country where there is a law in place to protect a cryptid, Skamania County, Washington. Located on the southwestern border of the state, roughly 70 miles northeast of Portland, Oregon, 80% of Skamania County is national forest covering the Cascade Range, mountainous terrain consisting of thousands of mostly inactive volcanoes covered by western hemlocks, pine, red cedars, and other evergreen trees. The county's relatively mild temperatures, biodiversity, and seclusion make it the ideal home for Bigfoot. At least that's what the scores of Bigfoot sightings in Skamania County would have you believe. Sightings so numerous that the Skamania County commissioners created a law to protect these creatures from being hunted. How do we know this? Because Skamania County Commissioner Bob Hamlin told us all about it. It's true there are numerous sightings of Bigfoot here. And there are laws to protect them. So why has no one ever caught a Bigfoot? Bob tells us the answer could involve multiple dimensions. I have a friend who's a strong believer in Bigfoot, and she explained to me that he is a temporal creature and that he shifts between dimensions. And that's why uh, you'll see him and then you won't see him. And uh, how that works uh it's beyond my knowledge of how physics play a part in all this and how he manages to shift between this dimension and another but that's why he's so difficult to to find um and so as explanations go i guess that one would work as well as any that he can temporarily shift between this dimension and another well that clears it all up doesn't it brent uh, totally. I, I feel like I'm tripping right now, to be honest. So before we get into any of the other topics that we're going to talk about, Bigfoot laws, things like that, I just wonder, have you ever heard the, the theory that Bigfoot and other cryptids like this might be temporal beings, that they might escape capture or maybe you know pictures or video or things like that by escaping through say a portal into another dimension or something like that no no i haven't this is a new one for you it, it yes it is um uh but i i guess sure it's like the executive action of of cryptids and interdimensional travel sure and and like like we've said before you know i'm i'm very much trying to believe but even I can see how hard it is to accept something where it seems very easy. This is an easy answer to 
how does Bigfoot not leave scat behind? How does no one ever see a dead Bigfoot somewhere? Why is Bigfoot not being picked? You know, everybody has camera phones nowadays. How comes nobody's taking a picture? So wait, does does Bigfoot go through the portal to leave his scat? I feel like he probably would. I feel like this is probably, I mean, people would use this as an excuse. I mean, this is the reason why we don't see any evidence of Bigfoot is because he or she will go and escape through into another dimension. The the portal potty. Oh, wow. That's really good. (laughs) Trademark Brent Donaldson. Ripley's Believe It or Not. All right. Makes sense. So uh, one of the things that Bob will go on to talk about, uh, if we can get a little more serious about the topic, is that people have been seeing these ape-like creatures in Skamania County for more than 100 years. Well, it goes back quite a way. So back, uh, Skamania County is mostly a timber county. Uh, They've been harvesting timber here for the last 100 years. And... um, Back in the uh, at the turn of the century, in the early 1900s, there was a group of uh, loggers that were up in an area up by the Lewis River, and uh, they saw an ape-like creature, and they were up in an area that had some caves, and the caves up there are named the Ape Caves, and they were named for the creature that the uh, loggers and miners that were up in that area uh, were spotting. They would see sign of this creature. So this has been going on since the early 1900s and it goes on till today. I just want to say, um, I really liked the ape caves earlier stuff, but they really sold out in those later albums. Yeah, maybe, but do you know who two of the members of ape caves went on to form? I don't. The banana splits. Huh? That's true. So now let's get to the meat on the bone of this ordinance. Why is there a law to protect Bigfoot in the first place? That ordinance was created uh, quite some time ago, back in the late 60s, early 70s, I believe it was. And it was created to give protection to Bigfoot, or Sasquatch, as some people like to call him. And um, part of the reason for creating the ordinance was the recognition of the fact that we believe Sasquatch, if he were to exist anywhere, would exist in Skamania County and would need the protection of the local county government so that uh, he would be viewed as a humanoid and have the protection of the law and not be considered wild game and could not be hunted. The reason behind the ordinance was to uh, bring awareness to the public that uh, many people within our county believe that he exists and that he should he would deserve protection. And I say he, but I assume there are both male and female Sasquatches and I also assume that um, people who are looking for him probably don't mean him any ill will. But we also wanted to uh, make sure that the public knows that he is a protected species. One time we had a group of junior high kids come down to the county courthouse and we were talking about the creation of ordinances by county commissioners and explaining to them. And we used this particular ordinance as an example. And one of the young uh, students asked me, well, if Bigfoot were to attack me, can I shoot at him and kill him then? And I said, yes, because it's a matter of self-defense. We treat this um, ordinance in that it gives protection to Bigfoot, not uh, only in the sense that you can't go out and stalk Bigfoot. He is protected against people going out trying to find him and do him harm. But at the same time, it's like with any law, uh, you have the right for self-protection. So that's Bob talking about the ordinance. In a later interview, 
he explained to me a little bit about the process uh, through which a law is actually made. He said to formally create an ordinance requires holding a public hearing and taking comments from both the public and staff. The county then deliberates before passing the proposed ordinance. As in most laws, he said, they work better if they come from the bottom up, from the people, and not from the top down, from elected authorities. He also said, quote, I wasn't here when the original ordinance was passed, but from what I've heard, there was no opposition and there was a lot of pride in taking ownership of the legend that surrounds Bigfoot, unquote. You know, that's fascinating to me because as you're explaining all of the, the, the kind of bureaucracy behind this ordinance, I was just keeping in mind that it was all about Bigfoot. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing that I think kind of takes our imagination uh, along for a, a civic ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Bob is going to wrap up the interview by telling us a little about his personal beliefs on Bigfoot. I tend to be a non-believer. I um, have gone out into the woods a lot. I'm a, I, I enjoy being out in the wilderness areas of our county. We have actually uh, three designated wilderness areas also. And I've been out in those areas and I've seen uh, a lot of things, but I've never seen any Bigfoot and I've never seen any sign. Uh, One of the things that is there are a lot of cougar in our county too. And I've never seen a cougar, but I have seen cougar signs. So that's, that's what leads me to have some skepticism. All right. Our thanks go out to Bob and the Skamania County Commissioners. Uh, I'm trying to decide right now if my next trip is going to be to South Florida or to South Washington State. So, Brent, question of the day. Do you think a law protecting Bigfoot is a good idea? I do. uh, Totally. Um, I tend to think that the fewer people there are shooting at humanoid-esque creatures in the woods, the better. The weird thing about this law to me is that it kind of... um, parallels stand your ground laws in a way so if you are out um with ill intent hunting bigfoot and you know you're not allowed to all you really have to say with this law in place is that bigfoot attacked you right correct so be that as it may i guess um one of the other things that that bob told us outside of the the interview and this is for all of you conspiracy buffs out there. If you're ever interested in crossing two of those things off your bucket list, Skamania County is also known as the place where famed hijacker D.B. Cooper allegedly landed when he jumped out of that Boeing 727 with a bunch of cash in 1971. Of course, no body was ever found, uh, but a bunch of old wet money did wash up on the bank of the Columbia River in 1980. As we now know, Even if D.B. Cooper survived that fall, he'd have to deal with everything those Skamania County woods has to offer, like possibly Bigfoot. Possibly Bigfoot. Okay, so we've come to the part of the Notcast we're calling Or Not, where we take a short but deep dive into a misconception that has become a modern-day fact, when in reality, myths and hearsay have taken over. So every week on this program, the Notcast will put one of those delusions to the test because you can't always believe what you hear. This week, you've heard testimony from believers and non-believers about the existence of so-called cryptids. While some stories may be difficult to believe, you may be surprised to know that time and time again, new creatures have been discovered on this planet. 
sometimes after scientists thought they were nothing but legend or myth. So if you think cryptids can't be real, you may want to think again. For centuries, tales have existed of outlandish creatures in the woods, swamps, mountains, seas, and jungles, and sometimes those stories turn out to be real. Back in 1860, explorers of those African jungles reported wild, hairy man-beasts that aggressively attacked humans. They were thought to be folklore until a German expedition in 1902 finally found them. Today, we call them mountain gorillas. Similarly, in the 19th century, natives from remote Indonesian islands reported seeing land crocodiles, which you can imagine was met with a certain level of skepticism. But in 1926, W. Douglas Burden from the American Museum of Natural History led an expedition to the Lesser Sunda Islands and found the Komodo dragon. This later became the inspiration for the original King Kong movie. And for centuries, sailors told stories of sea monsters, yet science looked the other way. That is, until Danish zoologist Johan Japetus Steenstrup was able to study a specimen that had washed up on a beach. We know it today as the giant squid. Could it be there are still other creatures in the world that we have yet to find? Humans will always keep looking, and here at Ripley's, we'll be ready to tell their stories. Believe them or not. Believe it or not. Ripley's Believe It or Not cast is produced by myself, Ryan Clark, and Sabrina Seek. Our executive producer is Amanda Joyner. Our intro theme music is by Colton Cruz. And our ending theme song is by the band Wussy. If you haven't checked them out, you're welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and tell your friends or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. If you have comments, questions, or ideas, email us at notcast at ripleys.com or tweet at ripleys. Be sure to catch the Notcast next week when we take you to some of the most amazing places on the planet that almost no one is allowed to visit. Oh, the places you'll never go next time on Ripley's Believe It or Notcast. So what do you think? Was that, was that all right? Overall, I would give it like a solid B plus. B plus. Yeah. Um, okay. Can I'll you take hear that. me? By the way, on this, I feel like I, I feel like I'm talking in a different volume. I don't know. Well, when you turn to face me, yeah. it kind of defeats the purpose of okay. having a microphone right in front of you. <laughs> okay. All right. But no, that, that was good. All right. Yeah. Do you want to try? Are we okay? No, we're you. still rolling. Okay. Yeah. Anything else to say? I think we're done. Okay.
you'll be interested in this because uh, the Ripley's is going to be coming down here to measure my snake. 